inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Hello, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I appreciate all the ratings and reviews you've left, and I love the comments and ideas, so please keep them coming my way. Since the last time we recorded, I've recently returned from my first clinic of the year at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. We had the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat, which I co-teach with Barbara Schulte. She's my dear friend and colleague, renowned cutting horse trainer. We had a fabulous group of participants from all over the country. We were blessed with excellent weather, super warm and sunny for the first two full days of the clinic. And then we had a little snow uh, towards the end, but that's kind of fun and exciting for out-of-state people as well. So we had good weather, great food. We did a lot of fun and productive riding, trail riding in the mountains, as well as clinicking with Barbara and me. And it was a great weekend. We were super happy to be back at the Sea Lazy U Ranch, and it was wonderful to see that they have not missed a stride since the wildfires moved through there last fall. Fortunately, there was very little damage to the guest ranch. It's 102 years old now, I believe, and it is just as beautiful and uh, as excellent a time as you can imagine, just as it's always been. They have a vision for reimagining the next 100 years at Sea Lazy U, and it's really shown in how they've rebuilt and regrouped since the fire. So we had a great time. Of course, we've been staying busy around the barn here at my ranch. Some of you may have seen the posts we've been making about Remington. He is our recently weaned and recently gelded Clydesdale colt. He was born just before the fires at the Sea Lazy U Ranch, an accidental breeding. They purchased a Clydesdale mare as a riding horse and turned out she was pregnant, unbeknownst to anyone. She foaled on October 1st, which is very late in the year for a horse colt to be born. And then the fires moved through just a few weeks later, so he was evacuated from his home ranch. We brought the mayor, Ann Remington, down here to live with us for the winter. And we recently sent the mayor back to Sea Lazy U so she can resume her career as a riding horse. And we're going to hang on to Remington probably through the summer. We really enjoy having a young horse around. I've been able to film a halter training and foal handling series with him. So each week we do a great little 10-minute lesson to advance his leading manners and work on desensitizing, picking up his feet. We're working on tying now. So he's learning a lot of great skills that he will need when he gets back to the Sea Lazy U Ranch. Eventually, he will become a riding horse. And uh, first, the Wranglers will ride him through his younger years of training. Eventually, he'll become a dude horse for the guests there. And 
I have a prediction that Remington is actually going to become a legendary horse at the Sea Lazy U. That'll happen over the next few decades. And I think that he's going to um, really be a horse that people will remember and ask for every time they come. And I just base that on how great a horse he is. He's such a bright, calm, brave, and super willing horse, which is great because he's also a huge little horse as well um, because of his Clydesdale genetics. I've also been keeping busy with my rescue horse project, a an 18-year-old thoroughbred mare by the name of Truth Takes Time. We brought Truth to our ranch at the beginning of April for reconditioning, retraining, repurposing, and preparation for adoption. I hope to have her ready for her new forever home sometime in the end of the summer, beginning of fall, depending on how well she does. Right now, I am super pleased with her progress. We have been tracking the progress each week of her training for you. It airs on Thursdays at noon Eastern time on Facebook, either with a live Facebook post where I will show you what we're doing with her training wise in real time and let you ask questions. Also, every other week, we will bring you a pre-recorded video where I'm really focusing more on her training and sharing with you my techniques for what I'm doing. And that also will be posted at noon Eastern time on Thursday. So each Thursday, we're going to give you an update on this horse so you can follow her training and progress throughout her time in my barn as a foster horse. Did you know that May is Adopt a Horse Month? It's the first time ever we've celebrated such a thing. You can go to myrighthorse.org and find out more about that. Each year, hundreds of thousands of good horses find themselves in transition of career or ownership. And each year, a growing number of these horses end up at risk of inhumane treatment. Research by the ASPCA indicates there are well over a million homes in this country that have both the perceived resources and the desire to house an at-risk horse. This number greatly exceeds the number of horses that need our help. So if you want to find out more about adopting a horse or how you can help promote adoption to others by sharing your adoption story on Facebook at hashtag RightHorse, go to, again, MyRightHorse.org. You can find horses available for adoption today, and you can find out more about how you can help a horse rescue in your area. I have three programs at the Sea Lazy U this fall. In September, I have the popular ranch riding adventure. It's currently full of riders, but you can get on the waiting list. Then we have two new programs in October. First, we have the Women's Leadership Retreat, which I co-teach with Barbara Schulte. That's aimed at business leaders. Then we have the Horsemanship Immersion Program, which is a five-day horsemanship intensive. And you can visit juliegoodnight.com slash events for more information on both of these events or go directly to clazyu.com. 
I'm excited to get back to teaching clinics and working hands-on with you and your horses. I'm considering dates and venues for more public clinics around the country. So if you're interested in hosting a clinic, please let us know. I'll come to your facility and conduct a clinic for one or more people. Could be just for you and your friends, or it could be open to the public. For more information on organizing a clinic, please go to juliegoodnight.com slash private clinic. And until then, check out my online short course on building your confidence with horses. Also, check out the memberships to my academy at juliegoodnight.com slash join. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, equipment, and educational resources at shop.juliegoodnight.com. First, I'd like to talk about what I mean by emotional behavior or emotional meltdowns. It's important to understand that horses, as both prey and herd animals, tend to adopt the emotions of the animals around them. And this is important for you to recognize because it speaks to how important it is for you to control your emotions. If my horse is becoming emotionally overwhelmed and I allow that to affect my emotions, then I'm going to be contributing to the problem instead of resolving it. Horses have the same basic emotions as humans do. Fear, anger, frustration, jealousy, etc. And because of what I just mentioned, that they tend to adopt the emotions of the horses around them. If you're riding a horse or training a horse or in a situation with a horse and you start feeling angry, your horse is probably feeling angry. If you start feeling frustrated, your horse is probably feeling frustrated too. So it's important we learn to recognize not only these behaviors and emotions in horses, but also in ourselves, and learn to really bring down the emotionality in ourselves, learn to control our own emotions so that the horse is not, so that we're not adding fuel to the fire of the horse's emotions. Emotional behavior could look like a lot of different things. It could be panic type behavior in a horse. It might be tantruming type behavior in a horse when you're asking him to do something he really doesn't want to do or something that he's gotten away with not doing for a long time. Basically, it's when a horse is in a non-thinking state of mind and he's just becoming reactive and overwhelmed. This kind of behavior tends to escalate in a horse if we don't take active measures to get the horse out of that downward spiral of emotions. And that's something that I want to talk about a little bit later. Basically, when we talk about emotional meltdowns in horses, we could, we could be simply talking about the flight response and a fearful episode in a horse. That is something that could be brought on very suddenly by a rabbit jumping out from under your horse on a trail ride or something like that. Or it could be a situation that has developed for some time leading up to the horse actually being stimulated for flight. In other words, he's a little bit nervous or a little bit scared and um, a series of events happens that just tips him over the tipping point on his fear. And that's basically what we would call overstimulation. But overstimulation can also come from very simple and normal and natural things like putting a horse in a new environment where every single thing around him 
is brand new to him. Horses, people, the facility, the activity, <laughs> the environment that he's in, the noise level, all of that stuff can contribute to overstimulation. Certainly, we see a lot of emotional meltdowns in horses that have to do with separation anxiety. Horses, one of the most strongest instinctive drives of horses is what's known as gregarious behavior. That's the herd-bound behavior, the desire to be with others. That's what gregarious means. And horses have the strong instinctive drive to be to not be separated from the herd at all costs. And so we have to overcome that instinctive desire through training and through building a relationship with the horse so he gets the same satisfaction from us that he gets from the herd. Nonetheless, horses at different ages, different stages of life and in different situations, whether through poor training or lack of training and handling, they can have emotional meltdowns over being separated from the herd. Everybody's experienced that. If you've had a horse, you've probably had situations like that. Also, another type of behavior that I'm referring to when I think about emotional meltdowns is when a horse begins to blatantly refuse any request you make from him, when he just shakes his head and says, no, I'm not going to do that and I'm willing to fight you over it, and or when the horse has an actual mental shutdown and he becomes really just shut down to any kind of cue, he can become very seemingly lethargic and and pushy and heavy and dull um, just because he's he's pushed to the point where he can no longer think and he's just shutting down his perception of everything in order to protect himself. Let me give you a few examples of how these things can happen. By the way, any horse is prone to an emotional meltdown when presented with the right situation or the wrong situation, I should say. So in other words, this doesn't strictly have to do with training and it doesn't strictly have to do with the horse's life experience and seasoning. In other words, I could have a horse that was highly trained and had traveled a lot, but I could put him in a situation that still became overwhelming to him, or that horse is not immune from getting overattached to a herd mate and then having a meltdown when he's because he hasn't been separated for a long time. So it doesn't really have to do with age or training or breed or temperament. There's so many different things that can lead to an emotional meltdown in a horse, and horses are such emotional animals that it just happens to be um, a regular thing with horses. So one thing that comes to mind when I think of, of specific scenarios is pretty much every time I do a horsemanship clinic, and generally it goes something like this, the clinic is being held at a facility that you had to travel to. Maybe, maybe you took several hour drive. Maybe it was not so far away. Maybe you spent a whole day driving to get there. The facilities are usually large and commercial in nature. So there is a lot of facility, a lot of activity, a lot of trucks driving around, equipment, sound speakers, flags, and maybe there's a rodeo going on next door or whatever. 
So there's a lot of activity. Also, the horse is in a brand new environment and he tends to be at a horsemanship clinic. He generally is going to be surrounded by unfamiliar horses and unfamiliar people doing potentially unfamiliar activities like riding in an enclosed arena with a huge group of unknown horses. So what often happens is someone arrives at the clinic with what they believe to be a very well-trained horse, but it's a horse that we like to say hasn't been to town much. So everything is new. In other words, you think of him as a well-trained horse because when you're at home in the arena he's familiar with, the barn he's familiar with, the stall he's familiar with, the people he's familiar with, the horses he's familiar with, the trails he's familiar with, all of that is familiar to him. It's very easy to be confident. Over time, you come to believe that you have a really well-trained, responsive horse and you are super bonded with him. But if you take him to a horsemanship clinic and all of those things are new to him for the first time, he's probably going to be quite emotional in the beginning of the clinic. Now, these horses tend to settle into the clinic very quickly because we put them to work and we start doing things that are familiar to him and we ease them through that emotional meltdown. But that first time to town scenario where the horse is just simply overwhelmed because everything around him is new to him and he sort of has lost his um, ability to think and, and he doesn't remember cues and he doesn't remember how to act and we have to bring him back to the calm and thinking state of mind before he will. Another example of how a horse, you might encounter an emotional episode with a horse, even though it's a well-trained horse that um, you wouldn't expect to act that way, is when things just accumulate, a bunch of little things accumulate to the horse, slowly and gradually bringing his nerves and his anxiety up to a point where one more thing happens and it's like the last drop in the bucket that caused the bucket to overflow. Recently at my clinic at Sea Lazy U, there was an episode that I would put into that category and the horses were just getting back into trail riding on the ranch after a winter of being closed down and the trails all looked different because the fire had moved through and taken out a lot of trees and there were still in some areas when you get back away from the ranch there was some evidence of fire had moved through an area they were familiar familiar with and because the ranch is really open um, and the vistas are huge you can see miles away when they went out on the trail ride and all the other horses were out on the trail ride, this horse could look up and see horses. Almost everywhere he looked up on the ridge in the distance, he could see horses. And I've seen this happen over and over, over again with horses that get in these open spaces and then they look around and everywhere they look, they see horses, but the horses are so far away that they can't recognize the horses. So they start getting increasingly nervous, instinctively being fearful about the strange horses that might be coming around them. 
And so gradually this horse, which was not a dude horse, but actually one of the guide's horses, and it was had less experience out on the trail. So it gradually got more and more nervous from looking around and seeing all these horses off in the distance. And then what should happen, of course, but a herd of antelope came running at them, probably being spooked by one of the other groups of riders. And those antelope running towards the horse was just too much for him. And he just um, had this emotional meltdown and wanted to spin and bolt. That's what horses do. That's what the flight response is. So in other words, this horse was just getting increasingly nervous. And then an event happened that pushed him over the tipping point. Let's talk about what a horse looks like in the midst of an emotional meltdown. For sure, his head's going to be up. Probably his tail is going to be up too. And you're going to feel tension throughout his entire body. This is what we call a horse being on the muscle. So he's actually physically preparing himself for flight. You may actually feel or see shaking through the horse's body, shivering even as the horse is is increasingly preparing for flight. Horses often will suck a deep breath in and hold their breath when they get frightened, (gasps) just like people do. It's important for you to distinguish flight behavior from fight behavior. Horses almost exclusively choose flight over fight to get out of a sticky situation. However, they do have fight in them. And when they feel flight is not an option or when they're pushed to the point that they, the only thing they know to do is fight, then a horse can become um, quite a, a aggressive in that regard as well. And that, that might have more to do with the horse that is refusing to do something you've asked him to do. Or maybe you're trying to hold that horse back while other horses leave and he becomes increasingly confrontational. That might look more like a lot of head shaking, shaking his head, stomping his feet. Um, It also might look like him shutting down. And that's what we call a horse sulling up. And so when a horse is sulling up, they're just, it's sort of like sticking their fingers in the ears and going la, 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 la. They're trying to shut out the outside world because in this moment, they cannot make any sense of it. Often horses that are having an emotional meltdown, spinning and bolting is their first response. They want to get the heck out of there. They're looking for an exit. They're looking around in panic, trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. And their instinct tells them, run away from it, run away from it. There are a lot of different things that can cause an emotional meltdown in a horse from just simple fear or from building anxiety. In other words, it could be a sudden event where, you know, a spook occurs because something sudden happened that scared the horse. Or it could be, as I mentioned, um, the one more drop in the bucket theory where the horse's anxiety is building over time. And maybe that's over, you know, 15 minutes of time or several hours or even, you know, days because the, the horse is experiencing anxiety we don't even know about. But the anxiety builds over time until it reaches a point of overflowing and emotional response. 
Could be, as I mentioned, from overstimulation. There's just too many things going on new to the horse that he can't really accommodate at one time in his head. And so he, he goes on a, an emotional overload. And then there's also what we call overfacing the horse, which is asking something of a horse that he is not capable of giving you in this moment. Sometimes you're just simply asking too much of a horse in terms of his training. You're asking him to do something he was ill-prepared for, like hauling him to a world championship horse show and having him be in the arena with 40 other horses and loudspeakers and indoor coliseum, and he's never even been off the farm one single time in his life, that would be unreasonable. He, he's not capable of giving you his best performance yet because you didn't prepare him enough for the horse show. Sometimes it's just in simply being too demanding of a horse, losing your patience with the horse, over scolding him, over correcting him, if the rider or trainer, which basically they're one and the same because every time you interact with a horse, you're training him something, either for better or for worse. So if the rider is getting angry and frustrated and, and demanding, the horse is feeling that too. And when we have unreasonable expectations of a horse or we start demanding of a horse something he's not capable of giving so he becomes frightened or afraid of what you're going to do. He's also no longer thinking. Sometimes this can lead to a horse's blatant refusal where, again, he just shuts down on you. He plants his feet. He backs up. He says, shakes his head. He refuses to do this. He looks for an exit. He tries to leave. You can have a complete and total mutiny from the horse by overfacing that horse and asking and demanding something from him that he's not capable of giving you right now. So this is something we want to definitely watch out for and avoid because basically what I'm telling you is that that is an emotional meltdown on a horse specifically caused by a person. I already talked a little bit about flight versus fight. It's important for you learn to learn to distinguish these emotions in the horse. I don't think it would take a rocket scientist to look at a really mad and refusing horse to read the body language of that horse and see that he wasn't really experiencing mostly fear at that time, but anger and frustration. So again, look at the horse's facial expression, look at the behaviors, look at his gestures Understanding where the horse is coming from in his emotional meltdown is going to have a bearing on the techniques that you use to bring the horse back to a thinking state of mind, bring the horse back to an obedient state of mind. Remember the ideal state of mind that we're looking for in a horse that we're riding or working with or training is calm plus thinking equals a trainable state of mind. Unless the horse is calm and focused and thinking about what I'm asking him to do, I can't really train him to do anything. And there are just times and situations when you're working with a horse where you lose that trainable state of mind. 
and the horse could be in a minor meltdown or a major one. But if he's not trainable in that moment, until we can bring him back to that calm and thinking state of mind, we don't really have a horse that we can train. So it's inevitable this stuff is going to happen. And occasionally you're going to find yourself with a horse that is emotionally out of control. Getting the horse back to a calm, focused, and thinking state of mind, getting the horse back to a willing and cooperative state of mind is the goal. So first it's important that you become aware of the horse's emotions, that you can read his emotions of fear You can distinguish them from anger. You can recognize when a horse is just blatantly refusing, when you've got a mutiny on your hands. You can recognize separation anxiety, meaning that you can recognize when a horse is overly focused on the herd, pulling towards the herd, thinking about the herd, looking at the herd, calling towards the herd. And you should be able to recognize a despondent state of mind in your horse when he's shutting down on you. Equine behaviorists refer to something they call functional circles of behavior in the horse. And what this means is that once a horse enters an emotional cycle of behavior, such as flight, once he's in there and the longer he's in there, the harder it is to get him out of there. The sooner you can get the horse out of an emotional circle of behavior, the easier it is to get him out. The longer he stays in flight, for instance, the harder it is to bring him back to calm and accepting. So it's really important that you can recognize changes in your horse's emotionality in the very beginning and that you immediately are proactive in resolving whatever emotions the horse is having and bringing him back to that calm and focused and thinking state of mind. Another thing that's important that you develop awareness of is what what is my horse's motivation and intention in this moment in time? Is he simply trying to get back to the herd? Is, have I asked too much of him in this moment and he's shutting down on me? Is he just being lazy and he doesn't want to work? Is he really fearful or is he just trying to figure out how to get away with something if i can determine the motivation behind my horse's behavior it will really help inform my response in other words if i know this is all about throwing a tantrum because i'm making him leave the herd with me in a place that he's familiar with and stuff that he knows how to do but he's just throwing a little bit of a tantrum how I deal with that is going to change that if he was actually afraid to go somewhere because maybe, you know, somebody put a banner up in the arena the night before and that was something that he saw that changed um, about the arena and it scared him, you know. Being able to distinguish these types of emotions is important and When you can understand the motivation behind the behavior, what is it the horse is trying to get away from? What is he trying to get toward? What does he want out of this um, outburst? Then it will really help you uh, determine the right response to take in that instance. And let's talk a little bit about what you're going to do when this happens. Like I said, emotional outbursts in horses 
are inevitable because they're highly emotional animals and because we tend to just occasionally get in situations that cause these kinds of outbursts. So first I want to talk to you about just some overbearing philosophies that I have which apply to dealing with a horses with horses that are having an emotional outburst. And these are sort of ways of thinking that you could apply to almost any situation when you're dealing with a horse that's having a meltdown. First of all, I have learned to treat emotional meltdowns less as a training problem and more as a mental health problem. The main thing I need to change is the horse's anxiety level and emotionality in order to get him back to a more productive mindset. So my job, if I think of dealing with this more as a mental health issue, what my job is then is to diffuse and de-escalate the horse's emotionality, get him back to the thinking state of mind, and then I can start employing training measures. So I think about uh, giving the horse some calm down cues, putting him to work in a certain way that will bring calmness to him, even putting him in certain positions and postures, um, getting inside his head a little bit, trying to get him to take a deep breath, all of these things that will just really help the horse bring him back from the emotional state. Remember, horses don't like to be having emotional meltdowns. They don't like having that kind of anxiety and angst in their head. They prefer things to be calm and pleasant and taken care of in their life. And so they're not happy either being in that state. So if we kind of think about it more as a mental health problem in the horse, helping him find calmness again, help helping find his solutions for getting back in a thinking state of mind, that will really help address the way that you deal with this. Another thing to keep in mind in terms of overriding philosophies that you want to use in any situation involving a horse that's emotionally out of control is to make sure you control your own emotionality. Make sure you slow down your actions, your cues, your reactions to the horse. Try to bring as much relaxation and calmness into your own body as you can. Take a deep exhale to cue the horse to breathe. Take control of the horse and be proactive in what you do with the horse in that moment. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. But just checking in with yourself. We can't expect the horse to be calm and focused if you are not. Remember, the horse is always going to adapt the emotions of the animals closest to him. So take a deep breath yourself, count to 10, physically slow down the movements and the reactions that you make around the horse. You want to hold your ground and show strength um, and not be reactive and fearful yourself. Then also your goal is going to be to try to find familiar ground with the horse. Whenever he's having an emotional meltdown, he's forgetting the proper way to act. And so as soon as I can get the horse busy doing something that is familiar to him, it can be the most simplistic thing like turn right, turn left, stop, go forward, back up. It could be going in a nice little circle one way and then a circle another way. 
but give the horse cues that you know he can respond to, the most basic cues, and get him back into a responsive state of mind. He forgets in that moment of emotional meltdown what the correct response is. That's why you're seeing an emotional meltdown. So get him back into a rhythm of doing something that he knows how to do, even if it's very, very simple, something that he will respond to, then that sets off a chain of events where you can praise the horse and he feels good about himself and he becomes more in a more obedient frame of mind. So often when a horse becomes emotional, the rider or the handler just freezes like deer in the headlights. They want to stop the horse. They want to contain the horse when what the horse needs most in that moment is to start doing stuff and particularly stuff that's familiar to him. Forward motion always helps a horse think and helps you regain control. The horse that refuses to move forward is almost impossible to control. So training horses is all about controlling forward motion. And because the horse is a flight animal, most of his behavior is keyed around movement. He thinks better when he's moving. And so if in that, horse, in that moment of emotional meltdown, I try to stop the horse and shut the horse down and contain him, that always doesn't work well for a horse. Now, remember, flight is the strongest instinct. So even though we want to move the horse forward and contain or control the forward motion, you must also be well prepared to shut down flight. And you must be aware at that moment when the flight response is trying to kick in or take control. And by the way, if the horse is frightened, when you turn him one way, which is away from the thing that he's frightened in, the, that's when the flight response will want to kick in as soon as you go to turn away. So being aware of where that is and the moment you are turning toward or away from something that might cause the flight response to kick in and then having the tools to deal with the flight response and shutting down the horse's flight. So that involves technical skills. And that's the next thing and final thing I want to talk to you about is the actual, you know, hard learned technical skills that you need to have to be able to better deal with a horse that's having an emotional meltdown. Now, remember, you could be on the ground with that horse easily or riding the horse. Either, either one is a common scenario trying to load a horse in a trailer and he's, he, can't, he can't do it in this moment. Whether through refusal or fear, uh, you're having an emotional meltdown with a horse from the ground. So I'm, I'm trying to keep generic here. Sometimes we're talking about riding. Sometimes we're talking about what we do on the ground. But first and foremost, in terms of technical skills that you need to employ in dealing with the horses that are having emotional meltdowns, First and foremost, you do need to be able to shut down flight. Whether that means taking a hold of a horse from the ground that's trying to run away or the ability to stop the horse that you're riding when he tries to spin and bolt. One thing to keep in mind is, first and foremost, I always want to make sure the horse is facing what he's afraid of. The slightest turning away from whatever it is he's afraid of, whether it's a horse trailer or a bear or um, making him leave the herd, this, the instant we turn the horse or allow the horse to turn away from that thing, 
is when the flight response kicks in. So to counteract that, I always want to make sure the horse faces what he's afraid of and just stops. Because flight is such a strong instinct in the horse, and many horses respond to something that spooks them by spinning a 180 and then bolting. The spin often takes the rider off guard, and that gives the horse enough time and opening he needs to bolt. Bolting is, the flight response is a really good example of that functional circle of behavior. I was talking about it a minute ago. The longer the horse has been in flight before we make the attempt to bring him out of flight, the more difficult it is. And so if we shut down that horse's flight response, when he very first begins to turn his nose away from that thing he's afraid of, so in other words, instantaneously, it's not hard to stop him. But if he spins a 180 and then gets one, two, three, four, five strides into bolting, it's going to get increasingly more difficult to stop the horse. It's important, therefore, that riders ultimately learn how to use the emergency stopping rein aid. It's called the pulley rein. I can't really teach you how to do it in a podcast. It's something that you're going to have to learn, study, and practice. But once it becomes a practice skill in the rider, you will have the confidence to know that you can stop any horse at any time. So the pulley rein involves locking the horse's nose into position with one really tight rein, bracing against the horse's neck with that rein as you shorten the other rein and pull straight back and up on it. Because you have the first rein locked, you're basically putting the horse's head and neck in a vise, and that generates leverage in the rider. When you learn how to employ the pulley rein correctly, as I said, you will have the confidence to know that you can stop any horse at any time. There's lots of information on my website about how to do that, both articles and videos. And if you go to my website and look at the Goodnight Academy, whether you subscribe um, just at the library level where you can access articles and audios and videos, searchable content, all you do is pipe in pulley rain or emergency stop, and you will find a list of resources that help you learn it. So first you got to learn it, then you got to practice it so it becomes a honed skill. So shutting down flight has to happen first and foremost if flight is something that the horse is moving towards. Other technical skills that are really valuable to employ when you're dealing with a riding horse or even from the ground, a horse that is having an emotional meltdown, becoming difficult to control. First is lateral flexion. So bending the horse's nose in a slow, soft, and relaxed manner from left to right to left is a calming movement for the horse. It mimics a natural behavior of the horse where he tends to scan the horizon put his head down to eat or drink a few more bites, and then he picks his head up, bends his neck to the other side to scan the horizon on the other side. Lateral flexion is easy to do from riding the horse or from the ground. It's simply asking the horse to give his nose, reach it back around towards his shoulder. 
with one rein or with the lead rope. And if we do this in a soft and relaxed manner, it brings calmness to the horse. Also, working the horse from the ground or from the saddle, I always want to employ a lot of changes of direction. So I want to turn the horse to the right. Maybe I'll go a full circle or two. Maybe I'll just do a 180 to the right. Then I'll go straight. Then I'll turn left. Then I'll go straight. Then I'll turn right. I might circle right, circle left, circle right, circle left. Circling in and of itself is not that useful in controlling the emotionality of a horse, but changing directions from right to left is. Every time you change the direction of the horse, you gain more control, you gain more authority over the horse. Changing direction brings the horse to a more submissive and thinking state of mind as he responds to your cues. It's almost always a good thing to do with a horse when you're having um, any kind of rough water with that horse. And so again, from the ground or from the saddle, the more I cause the horse to change the direction he's going, the more he comes into a responsive and obedient frame of mind for me. Bending the neck is a useful tool to have when you are having trouble controlling a horse. Again, either from the ground or from the saddle. When I'm going to have the most difficulty controlling the horse is when his neck is straight and stiff out in front of him. He can use his body weight against me in that moment. And so if I can create a slight bend in the horse's neck, either to the right or the left, it will give me the ability to stop him or control him if he really um, goes south on me. So beware, however, of too much pressure on the outside rein when you're asking the horse to bend his neck, either in lateral flexion, in changes direction, or if you're just asking the horse to maintain a slight bend in his neck so that if he does go south on you, you have a little better control. If I ask the horse to flex one direction, let's say to the left, but I'm holding contact on the right rein, the outside rein, that will bring stiffness to the horse and will often cause him to shut down on me. And so while lateral flexion and changes of direction and putting a bend in the horse's neck are super useful tools in calming a horse down and getting control over him, if you are also putting pressure on the outside rein when you ask him to do that, it's going to actually make matters worse for you as the horse starts shutting down, becomes stiff and heavy and starts leaning on me. So keep that in mind as well. The too much pressure on the outside rein when you're asking for the horse to bend and soften is going to make things go in the wrong direction for you. It's really important to consider part of your technical skills, what you do in your own body, your breathing, and your eyes in particular are critical what you do in terms of showing confidence to your horse, showing your horse that you are calm and focused. What you do with your eyes is so important to the horse. It not only is important to your own sense of balance, your own sense of confidence, and your own sense of direction, but the horse perceives what you're doing with your eyes as important information as well. In other words, Let's say it's a horse that's refusing to leave the barnyard. You've asked him to go out 
on his own. He's being heard down in this moment. He's shaking his head and stomping his feet and saying, no, I refuse to do that. If what you start doing is looking down or looking back at the barn, you show the horse that you're not committed to this either. You show the horse that you're experiencing a lack of confidence. And it tells that horse in his moment of refusal that he now has an opening with you. So what you do with your eyes is so critical in that moment. Looking in the direction you expect the horse to go with confidence and with the most amount of determination and intention that you can muster in your body language has a critical impact on your horse. So the rider or the handler from the ground being in total control of her body language, of what she's doing with her eyes, of the message that she's conveying to her horse and how committed she is in that action, these have a tremendous impact on your horse, even one that's having an emotional meltdown, maybe especially one that's having an emotional meltdown. So these are skills you have to develop in yourself. And then finally, let's talk about what you can do to de-escalate the emotionality in your horse to regain his obedience and first of all you need to ask yourself what can I do right now in this moment that I'm sure I can do successfully and maybe that's just simply circling right and then circling left slow down and speed up ask the horse to stop and back up uh, backing I would say I, I would be a little bit leery of employing because remember I talked about the importance of keeping the horse moving forward. So you have to use that one with, with a, a bit of caution. But think about in this moment, what directives can I give this horse, stuff I know he can do. Uh, maybe it's simply leading to the right, leading to the left. Whatever it is, get the horse busy doing something you know he can do, no matter how simple it is. At the moment your horse becomes disobedient and refuses and is no longer listening to you, nothing else really matters except that you get the horse's obedience back. And you're going to do that by asking him to do stuff that is familiar to him rather than just trying to stop him and shutting down on him. Groundwork can be really useful in this moment. You should never be afraid to stop and step off a horse if you feel like things are getting out of control. And if you have groundwork exercises to fall back on, that works really well. Then I would just stop that horse, step off of him, and start immediately doing groundwork with the horse. Maybe I'll circle around him to the right and then change his direction and circle him to the left. Maybe I'll lead him over here and then turn him around, lead him back over there. Maybe I'll ask him to walk, trot, walk. Having these kind of groundwork exercises to fall back on when your horse is having an emotional episode can be just as useful as, a, as employing techniques from the saddle. Again, there's lots and lots of information and how-to tools on my website. Go to juliegoodnight.com join and you can read about the different levels of membership and the help that they offer all the way from just providing information for you to study yourself up to a personalized coaching and training curriculum from me. So check that out and get help. If you don't have groundwork tools in your bag of tricks, you should get them because they're going to be 
not only useful when you have an emotional meltdown from a horse from the ground, but also if you're experiencing that kind of trouble from the saddle, there's nothing wrong with stepping off, putting the horse through his groundwork paces to regain that thinking and calm state of mind. So in conclusion, I'd like to say when it comes to bringing your horse back from the brink of an emotional episode, first of all, recognizing and understanding your horse's emotionality comes first. Reading his body language, understanding his motivations and intentions, and understanding all of the factors that have contributed to this emotional episode. Also keeping yourself in a calm and focused state of mind, recognizing emotionality in yourself and using your breathing and your focus to bring yourself back to a calm and relaxed state of mind is really important and is everything in terms of having success with your horse. Being able to develop a mindset and specific tools that will help diffuse your horse's emotional outbursts while still maintaining control and authority over the horse requires that you stay focused, that you continue to ride or continue to direct the horse from the ground, and that you employ specific training skills that get you the results you need. In other words, you must develop the skills in yourself and also maintain that thinking state of mind so that you can make good decisions about which tools to employ in this moment. I hope this discussion gave you some more clarity on managing your horse's emotionality and that you found some useful ideas that you can put to work right away. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey? Q&A. We pick a few unique questions from our listeners each month and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Our first question comes from listener Barbara McCoy via email. This question has been edited just a little bit for clarity. And Barbara says, how do you deal with a horse who loses it when his ears are touched, particularly when a bridle or fly mask or bonnet is being put on? Thanks. Barbara, it's a good question, and it's very pertinent to what today's podcast was about in terms of diffusing and de-escalating emotional behavior in horses. But this specific situation, a horse that um, totally loses it when his ears are touched, is simply a desensitizing process. Now, some horses can be quite overreactive when it comes to their ears. Often that is because either they've been twitched in the ears, that's a a restraint technique that is sometimes employed when a horse needs to be restrained. It frequently causes the horse to be really shy about his ears, so it's not a technique we want to use if we can at all avoid it. Also, sometimes when horses have had conditions in their ears that cause the ear to be painful, either a fungus or a bacterial infection, crusty in their ears, sometimes growth in their ears. So that could be another reason why a horse became hypersensitive about his ears. However, 
The only way you can get around that is just simply through desensitizing. I like to use the approach called advance and retreat. The other approach to desensitizing a horse is called bombardment or flooding, and that's when you just keep applying the stimulus until the horse no longer responds to it. I don't really ever use that technique with desensitizing horses because I don't think the end result is very good. But ear shyness is a good example of why we can't rely on bombardment or flooding because if you can't touch his ears or get anywhere near them, how are you going to um, continue to apply that stimulus until he doesn't respond? So advance and retreat is a more sophisticated technique. And it involves advancing the stimulus very slowly from a place where the horse is non-reactive at all towards the place where he's reactive, which in this case is his ears. I might start with my hand clear back on his neck just in front of the withers. And I would just slowly, in a real soft, caressing sort of way, slowly work my hand towards the up the neck, towards the ear of the horse. And the reason why I'm going slowly is because I want to feel the first moment that my horse tenses, and that might actually be before you touch the ear. So I'm going to slowly advance until I find the horse's place of discomfort where he first begins to tense, and then I stop, and I just keep my hand there, and I wait until I feel the horse physically relax. I feel his muscles soften, and I see his head lower, maybe his breathing shows me he's relaxing, takes a a deep sigh, and then I retreat. I pull the stimulus away and literally physically step away from the horse, and I might praise him along the way as I do. So then I advance again. I, uh, I advance slowly with my hand towards the ear of the horse, find the first moment that he tenses. I hold that ground until he physically relaxes, and then I retreat and release all the pressure off the horse. And I keep with repetition, I will get farther and farther each time. Now, here's the problem people get into with head shyness and ear shyness is you advance and you get towards his ear. Let's say the first time you actually touches his ear and he jerks his head up and you lose contact with the ear. So you've just released the pressure at a moment when you shouldn't. So as I advance slowly towards the ear, I'm going to be actually laying my arm on the horse's neck so that when he throws his head up, my arm goes with him. In other words, he can't get away from my touch. I've got my other hand on the halter and lead rope. The horse is not tied. If he moves away from me, I just move with him until he stops. I work really hard not to let him think I'm chasing him as I move with him. I'm thinking stop. I want him to stop. But I wait until he voluntarily stops before I release the pressure. This can be quite tricky, but is actually a, a, a technique that when you do it correctly, the desensitization occurs quite fast. So first I would want to get to where I could touch the ear before I worked on the bridle or the fly mask or any of that other stuff. Also, I'll just mention in terms of training, I like to use grooming halters in young horses And those are the uh, flat webbed halters that have a snap on the side at the horse's jaw so we can leave the head stall of the halter buckled 
and pull the halter on and off over the horse's ears. I think this is really good for young horses because that's what they have to get used to in terms of bridling. So by using a grooming halter and taking the halter on and off over his ears, it's in effect sensitizing the horse's ears to the bridling uh, before you ever bridle the horse. So start with just your hands and touching. Go to my website and pull up information about advance and retreat or desensitizing techniques. It's always tricky when it involves the head of the horse because you're in a dangerous place at the front end of the horse, so be careful there. And if you devote the time, give the horse the time he needs, you certainly ought to be able to get past this ear shyness with the horse. So good luck, Barbara. The next question comes from Benjamin. And again, it's edited for clarity. Benjamin says, hi, Julie. I love the info you share through your podcast and website. I always feel I come out with a new and helpful piece of information. So thank you for sharing your vast experience and wisdom. Thank you, Benjamin. That means a lot to me. My question is, many blogs, books, and online training resources talk about helping you develop the relationship you always wanted to have with your horse. For example, having him meet you at the gate, in the paddocks, etc. This makes me feel perhaps I should aspire to that as well. My own horse tends to be aloof and keeps on grazing no matter where I'm at. I do feel we have a good connection when riding or on the ground. He trusts me and is very responsive. He is a 14-year-old quarter horse who is a very sensitive, hot type. So is the fact that he does not run to greet me an indication that the horse sees me as any other human? And should I work on developing that kind of relationship? By the way, I'm registered to attend your horsemanship immersion clinic at Sea Lazy U this October. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Best, Benjamin. Well, thank you for that. Great question, Benjamin. And this is something I think we can get into the weeds just a little bit on because you're right. It is something that people often cite as evidence that you've got a good relationship with the horse, the horse that meets you at the gate and is happy to see you. Well, let me tell you this. Not all horses are that way. In fact, I would say more horses than not are aloof by nature. These are not animals that really have an affinity for strangers or for people outside their herd or for animals outside their herd. Horses can be very aloof and cool as a cucumber. They are very good at um, being stoic and aloof. That's just the way they are. Some horses are more gregarious than others. Some horses from the time they're born are really interested in people. They will more than other horses willingly leave the herd for a, a potential interaction with a person. I think because they think of people as entertainment or they think of people as uh, something good is going to happen to them. So sometimes this is just simply the temperament or nature of a horse. And if we have unreasonable expectations of that horse, then it's sort of a recipe for disappointment. I, I, I'm happy if my horse, you know, greets me at the door and is happy to see me, but I don't demand that of him. And I know that some horses just don't have that kind of personality and they're never going to be 
as friendly and gregarious and dependent upon me as as some other horses are. Keep in mind that most horses are aloof and cool when it comes to people. Also, we have to keep in mind that a horse's previous training experience may have contributed to that. Look, when horses have been in high-pressure, demanding training environments, then often they're not happy to see people coming. It's just sort of habitual behavior and not necessarily a reflection upon you. So I would not worry about that at all, Benjamin. And I would just, you know, we can train that into a horse a little bit. You know, if your horse is running away from you and hiding from you, if he's playing hard to catch, all of those things can be trained out of a horse and, and all of those things can be learned behavior. But if your horse is not just a super personable horse, it really, you just need to learn not to take that personally and not to have expectations of the horse that he's not really capable of giving you. You may find that when you take that kind of pressure off the horse, you start seeing him showing a little bit more interest in you. So I hope that helps. I look forward to seeing you up at the Sea Lazy U Ranch this October. And our third and final question comes from Bonnie through email. And Bonnie says, Hi, Julie. I have a highly sensitive thoroughbred. In helping him learn the ground tying maneuver, when I move to the left or right, he disengages his hindquarters to stay in line with me. I don't know how to correct him. This is a great question, Bonnie, on a few different levels. First of all, it's interesting that you mentioned he's a highly sensitive thoroughbred because I have this new foster training project with an off-the-track thoroughbred mare who's also highly sensitive. Thoroughbreds can be quite different from other breeds of horses in in their behavior. For instance, they may have more flightiness than the average horse. Well, we've been breeding them for hundreds of generations to, to run fast, so that's not a big surprise. They can be highly, highly sensitive to everything in their environment, from touch to movement to sounds to even changes in barometric pressure. So when you have a high, it doesn't have to be a thoroughbred to be highly sensitive. They just tend to be that way. So I always discuss this when we're working on the ground tying training of a horse, which I do in every clinic I teach and which I have a lot of information about on my website. When you're teaching a horse to ground tie, in the very beginning, you stand dead still with your feet planted out in front of him, facing him. And all of that helps the horse understand that you do not want to move. You're not going anywhere and you don't expect him to go anywhere. We correct him for movement with the rope by snapping the rope, but then we leave the rope totally slack and sometimes even laying on the ground. We stay at that stage of training ground tying until the horse is no longer moving his feet and until we are no longer making corrections with the rope to get him to stand still. And then, and only then, will I introduce to the horse the fact that, oh, and by the way, when I give you the cue to stand still and don't move, it turns out I may be moving while I still expect you to stand still. So it's a whole second stage when we start introducing to the horse, the fact that when you move, you still want him to stand still. 
So many horses, when you get to the stage, are so intently focused on you that if you take a step to the right or left, they move their nose with you and they step their hip over so their body stays in alignment facing you. Now, there's a lot more to it than just meets the eye or meets the words I'm saying. So it turns out the flank of the horse is his most vulnerable place and the place that he um, doesn't want to give you access to if he's nervous. So stepping his hip away from you when you step to the side, it's just a natural instinctive. You're referring to it as disengagement of the hindquarters. So he's stepping over with his hind feet and moving the hip away from you. That's a natural movement that indicates that the horse is unsure. He's uh, feeling like he needs to be careful. And so he needs to keep his flank behind him so you don't get closer to that. Also, he may just be reacting to your movement. You take a step, I take a step. You take a step, I take a step. And it's because you're moving to the side that he counteracts with stepping his hip away. So regardless of the cause, when I go to show the horse that sometimes I might be moving, but I expect you to stand still, first of all, I move very slowly to the side. I continue to face the horse. If he follows me with his nose, I'll put my hand up in the, in the stop gesture. I'll point his nose away from me if I need to. Just not in a corrective way, but in a supportive, encouraging way that says, no, keep your nose over there. You don't need to follow me. And then I'll just step right back to in front of him again. So I'll step to the side real slowly help him with gestures, help him with my voice, and then step back in front of him before he moves. So you just need to really slow it down, really do everything you can to encourage the horse not to follow me with his nose. If I step one step to the side and he turns his nose but doesn't move his feet, and then I take another step to the side and he moves his nose further but doesn't move his feet, Eventually, if I allow him to keep following me with his nose, which is, which is not a bad thought on his part, he's focused on me, he's being very careful, um, if I allow him to continue to follow me with his nose, he'll reach a point where he has to move his feet, and I have now set him up for failure. So as you start introducing this sideways movement, just one step at a time, go super slowly, Signal to the horse, tell the horse, gesture to the horse, and don't do any more than that until he gets it that you don't want him to follow you with his nose. In all other instances to him, that seems like a good idea to follow you with his nose, and and you should be really in some ways thankful that he's not focused on you, but help him, give him the support he needs, break it down, keep it slow, tell him what the right thing to do is in that situation. And I think you'll find you'll get this really fast. Thank you for joining me today for our discussion on emotionality in horses. Remember, horses are emotional animals. There's no doubt about that. And inevitably, you will encounter a situation where your horse has an emotional meltdown. How you manage their emotional outbursts depends on your level of awareness, 
how well you manage your own emotions, and what technical skills you employ. I hope you found some useful tips in this episode that will help the next time a horse goes south on you. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level skills, I hope you found some useful information to make your horse life better. Next month on my podcast, I'll tackle another horse training topic that you've been asking for, so please join me. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And remember, I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, your suggestions, and your questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most, so if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook. My page is at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. Don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all of it searchable content. Or you can enroll in my horsemanship short course on building confidence. We're adding more short courses and webinars to help you reach your horsemanship goals. Or join me at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com slash join and start your ride. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.